We're in a study in the book of Romans, and we are in a break doing a couple topical uh, uh, issues on the book of Romans, and this is the last of the topical uh, series, uh, uh, sermons we're doing tonight. Uh, next week, we'll start up again in chapter 9, but um, we're doing a topical series tonight. And it's on everybody's favorite subject, sin. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> What is sin? Um, and so in two chapters 5 to 8, um, there were some issues that we've dealt with. And in chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, um, it talks about sin. So we're going to talk about what sin is, where it started. And so that's going to be our topical series for tonight. Um, we're going to be in Romans, starting in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Um, but let's pray real quick before we start. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We glorify you, Lord, for just being who you are. You are God, and beside you there is no other. Thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And as we hear your word tonight, speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Give us a better understanding of sin to abstain from it, Lord God, um, and understanding your conquering of it, Lord God, in the cross. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin... In this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. So he uses the word sin a whole bunch in here. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all men because all sinned. Just as sin entered the world. So he used the word sin a whole lot. And the question is, what is sin? Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in action, attitude, or nature. I'm going to read that again. Sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in action, attitude, or nature. I want to read something real quick. Um, in, in the back, in our, in our books, we have a, a little pamphlet called Sin in the Fall. And I really recommend that you get it. It was really helpful. It's really good. But I want to read something that he starts the book out with here which I think is really good, and I think we can all can agree with this. He says, something is severely wrong with humans and their world. People of all religious and non-religious persuasions recognize this. For example, while humans in the modern era have achieved massive technological and medical breakthroughs, they have also created a terrible mess. An estimated 188 million people died by war and oppression alone in the 20th century. 188 million people died by war and oppression alone in the 20th century, and many of them were raped, mutilated, or tortured before dying. The world was horrified by the attack on the Twin Towers on the World Trade Center in New York on September 11, 2001, in which some 3,000 people died. Africa suffers the equivalent of two 9-11s every day. The tsunami in the Indian Ocean in December 2004 carried off some 300,000 people in a single day. HIV and AIDS inflicts the equivalent of a tsunami on Africa every month. Many people, including leaders in science, education, politics, and religion, analyze the human predicament while assuming that the theory of, of naturalistic evolution is true. This theory concludes that evil is part of the original cloth from which human history is woven. Then it goes on and on and on. Um, but we all know something is wrong with our world. We all know that we see it. All you got to do is turn the TV on or walk outside your front door, you know something is wrong. But sin is any failure to conform to the moral law of God in action, attitude, or nature. Sin is wrong in the deepest sense of the word. Sin is in direct opposition to all that is good in the character of God. 
God necessarily and eternally hates sin. It is the contradiction of the excellence of his moral character and, and his holiness, and he must hate it. God hates sin. The Bible gives a definition of sin in 1 John chapter 3. It says, everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. That's what sin is, when you break the law, break God's moral law in, in action, attitude, or nature. A couple words that are synonymous for, for, for sin are transgression, iniquity, disobedience, error, fault, and ungodliness. Those are all synonymous with sin. Transgression, iniquity, disobedience, error, fault, and ungodliness. And God uses all those terms, all of them, uh, equivalent to the word sin. Our very nature, the internal character that is the essence of who we are as persons can also be sinful. Our very nature, the internal character that is the essence of who we are as persons can also be sinful. We see this in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedience. The disobedience. Remember the definition of sin of disobedience. The spirit now working. Now he's talking about non-believers. He's talking to believers about how they used to be. That's why he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, talking about the devil, the spirit, the spirit of the enemy, now working in the disobedient. People of the world are controlled by the enemy, by the devil, his spirit. We too previously all, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We carried out our, our, whatever we wanted to do in action and how we thought. You can have sinful thoughts. You know that. Carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children under wrath, as were the others also. He says, by nature you were children under wrath. That word nature in the Greek is, means to bring forth. It means to produce the natural powers or constitution of a person or a thing. To produce the natural powers or constitution of a person or a thing. In other words, that's the nature of it. So our nature is just sinful. That's why it's just so easy for us to do that, because it's our very nature. Now, I'm going to give several definitions of the word sin. The Bible, um, there's, there's several definitions of the word sin, and I'm going to give the definitions and then several scriptures that talk about that, that definition. And I'm going to be going really fast. There's a lot of scriptures. So I'm going to be going really fast because I know we want to eat. Amen. <laughs> so, so I'm going to give the definition of the word. The first word of definition of sin is harmartia. And it means a missing of the mark. And we've all seen this bullseye. Whether you plan darts or you went to Target. <laughs> You've seen this bullseye. So the, the, the one definition of sin is harmatia, and it means a missing of the mark. Here's the mark. Everything outside of this mark is sin. That's how God defines sin. The only thing that's not sin is when you hit, so when you plan uh, darts and you hit out over here, you just sinned <laughs> in the dart game because <laughs> you missed the mark. And we're so impressed when people do hit the mark. It's like, oh man, he got the bullseye. If they do it twice in a row, we're really impressed <laughs> because we know how hard that is. But the definition of sin is harmartia, and it means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. And it's used several ways. Um, there's de several definitions. Use of as, first of all, a principle or source of action or, or an inward element that produces acts. 
So the first definition is, is a, principle, a principle or source of action or an inward element producing acts. Romans chapter 3, what then? Are we any better? Not at all. For we are previously charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. They're all under harmartia. They're all under this principle or source of action called sin. Jew and Gentile, Paul says. He said we're all jacked up. Romans 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity to the commandment, produced to me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. So sin, this, this, this principle in me, caused me to want to covet everything that I saw. He says, on the contrary, I would not have known sin, what it means to miss, a mark, miss the mark, if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, Eddie, you got to hit the mark when it comes to covetousness. Do not covet. Do not miss the center. And sin, seizing an opportunity to the commandments, sin said, oh, that's what you got to do, hit the mark, therefore... And they're producing me coveting of every kind. I wanted to covet everything that I saw. Why? Because that's my nature. It's sinful. The second one is, it's a governing principle or a power. Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, to this governing principle or power. Because we're, we're governed by this principle or power, especially before we get saved. It's a governing principle or power, and it says, for we, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, now that we're saved, in order that sin's dominion, this governing power over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. 7.14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power, sold under this governing principle or power. Sin acts through the body, so you, you, you want to do something and, and carry yourself off through the body, but the seat of, the, of, of sin is in, the, is in, the, is in the, the will. The seat of sin is in the will, but it, it, it acts it out through your body, whatever that may be. So it's a governing principle or power. It's also a generic term distinct from specific sin. So sin is not just specific sins. It's also a generic term. Hebrews chapter 9 says, for the Messiah did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Talking about Jesus. He did not do this to offer himself many times as a high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. The high priest used to have to do it every year. He said Jesus didn't have to do that. Verse 26, otherwise he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. He would have to, have to do it over and over and over and over again. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's talking about sin in general, not any specific sin. For the removal of all sin. That one sacrifice that he did on cross took care of every kind of sin that would ever exist. So it's a generic term. It's distinct. First John. But we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin general term. All of it, not any specific sin, all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Don't miss that. If we ever say that you ain't got no sin, 
The Bible says you are deceiving yourself, and the truth ain't even in you. You're just lying. You're just lying. So it's a principle or source of action or an inward element. It's a governing principle or power. It's a generic term. It's also a sinful deed. An act of sin. Matthew chapter 12. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Because of this, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks the word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. Wow. He says, Jesus is speaking here. People will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy. But the blasphemy, this specific sin, the sin of blasphemy, attributing to, to, to Satan God's attributes or God's action or vice versa. That's what blasphemy over and over and over again. They seen what Jesus did over and over and over again. He, they said he's doing this by Beelzebub, this, the God of the flies, blasphemy. They attributed to Satan God's work. That's blasphemy. And Jesus said that sin will not be forgiven. Either in this life or in the one to come. That's the only thing that you can never be forgiven for. That's blasphemy. And this repeated over and over and over again. You know that this is God. They knew that Jesus was from God. And they still refused to believe him and accept him. So that's the first definition of, 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 of sin is harmartia, to miss the mark in the bull's eye. The second one is harmartima. And they sound very like, all these words sound very similar. Harmartima, which is an act of disobedience to divine law. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary, the person who, sexually, who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. This is a particular act, act of sin against a divine law. God has established sex between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. And he says, he says you are to run from sexual immorality. The word immorality in the Greek is, is porneia, which is where we get the word pornography from. He says run from that. There's several times in the scripture that the Bible tells you to run, <laughs> and this is one of them. He says, when it comes to sex, run. Don't even try to fight. Run. Brothers, run. It's very manly to run away from sin, some sexual sin. Run from sexual morality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. Every sin that you do normally is outside of the body. He says, but... The one who's sexually immoral sins against his own body. You jacking yourself up, he said. That's deep. He said every other sin is committed outside the body, but this particular sin is against your own body. And it can be used, this word harmartima can be used in a singular form like it is here, or in the plural form in Romans. God presented him as a propitiation, which means a, 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 an appeasement. God's wrath was appeased through Jesus Christ. God presented him, Jesus Christ, as an, a propitiation and appeasement, as satisfaction through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Plural. All of them. See, when God forgives you of your sin, he doesn't forgive you of one particular sin. He forgives you of every sin you ever committed. Every one. So it's plural here. He says God presented him, Jesus, as a propitiation through faith in his blood. See how it comes? See how you get forgiven? Through faith in his blood, his sacrificial life. 
to demonstrate his righteousness. God is righteous. God said, I'm going to demonstrate how righteous I am. God cannot ignore our sin. He can't. He would not be righteous if he did. He said, but he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. Passed over them. Previously committed. All right. Um, Harmartia, an act of disobedience uh, to divine law. The third word is harmartano, which means to miss the mark. And it's used of sinning against God by, first of all, angels. Second Peter chapter 1. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. This second, yeah. With goodness, knowledge, with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these go out, this is not what I wanted. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. This is, I'm sorry. This is good. This is good. I'm sorry. Knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, in other words, supplement your faith. Add these things to your faith. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they're growing in you. They will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can be, we can be useful as believers. Useless, rather, I'm sorry. Keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins, plural. He's forgotten that God has forgiven him of everything he's ever done in his life sinfully. Because he was short-sighted. He, did, he forgot. Don't ever forget what God has brought you from. And that's from the pulpit to the door. Don't ever forget what God has done for you and where he's brought you from. He said they forgot and they became useless and unfruitful. Okay, uh, now, you can sin against Christ. Now, we, we sin against God, but the Bible also says we can sin against Christ. And I'm going to, give, I'm going to read some, I'm not going to quote, quote, put these on the board, but uh, scriptures talk about sinning against Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 8.18. You can sin against your fellow man, according to Matthew 18.15. You can sin against Jewish law, the temple, and Caesar, according to Acts chapter 25, verse 8, when Paul said, I haven't sinned against the Jewish law, the temple, or Caesar, when he stood before the council. That's what he said. You can sin against your own body, which we said in 1 Corinthians 6.18. You can sin against yourself, your own body. You can sin against earthly masters, according to 1 Peter 2.20. So there's many, many ways to sin. Many, many ways to sin. The last one is pro-amartano, which means to sin previously. Old sin, previously. 2 Corinthians 12. I fear that when I come, my God will again humiliate me in your presence, and I will grieve for many who sinned before and have not repented of the moral impurity, sexual immorality, and promiscuity they practiced previously. Past tense. So you can uh, have previous sins, and, and thank God they're forgiven, but right here he's talking about stuff they did before. Okay, so... That describes what sin is, those different definitions of, of what sin is. Um, a principle or source of action, harmartia, um, 
Harmartima, an act of disobedience to divine law. Um, Harmartano to Mr. Mark and pro-Armartano to sin previously. Now, question is, where did sin come from? I'm going to talk about the origin of sin. How did it come into the universe? Where did this thing called sin come from? And I know in the, in the world we live in today, this is a forbidden word, sin. You don't hear that word talked about. You don't hear that on CNN or Fox. You don't hear that word. <laughs> and you're not going to. That's, that's, this is, this is a, they consider this something barbaric you know, sinning. Um, but it's part of the foundation as believers. This is what we've been freed from. So we cannot get rid of this word. So where did it come from? Genesis chapter 3. Very familiar scripture. Um, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Verse four, no, exclamation point, look at that. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. That is where sin originated, right there. When they disobeyed God, Adam in particular, we'll talk about that in a minute. When they disobeyed God, sin entered into the world. Their disobedience to God is the reason we are in the predicament we are in right now in the world. And I know that's not a popular thing in the culture, but that's, this is where, this is why all that stuff I read earlier about, you know, AIDS and all that, that's why we have that, is because of this. Their sin challenged the basis for knowledge in three areas. Their sin challenged the basis for knowledge of three areas. First of all, what is true? Their sin challenged what was true. Verse 3 and 4 says, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. It challenged what was true. God said, God told them in chapter 2, like, like she said, if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. That was true. Satan said, no, you won't. He challenged what God said. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree in the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it. God never said you couldn't touch it. He said, don't eat from it. So she added to God's word. Or you will die. There was many trees in the garden. The one that God told them not to eat from was the only one the devil wanted to talk about. Why didn't he bring up any other trees? See, the devil always wants to, he made them think that, okay, God is keeping something from you. Why not that tree, Eve? What's on that tree? The devil always wants to make you think you're missing out on something. God's keeping something from you. 
You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Lie. Their sin challenged what God has said was true. Don't ever challenge what God says. When you read something in Scripture that's uncomfortable, okay, God, this is uncomfortable, but it's got to be true because you said it. And if God is saying, thou shalt not, he's not keeping something from you. He's trying to protect you from something. God is always trying to protect us and keep us from something. So if he says, don't do this for whatever reason, even if it's something good and, and something even not necessarily sinful in and of itself. If it's a relationship, God says, no, 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 don't, don't get involved in that relationship. Don't do that. Why, God? Trust me. God won't always tell you why. He says, just trust me. Don't get enough. And sometimes we'll disobey and go and do the exact same thing God said not to do, and then we'll discover why he said don't do that. <laughs> He's an abuser. He starts going upside your head. God said, don't get enough. Now you know why. Their sin challenged the basis for what is true. It challenged the basis for what was right. Verse 6. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. God said, don't eat. It was right not to eat. But what did she do? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, delightful to look at, the lust of the eyes, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, the pride of life. She did exactly what God said don't do. It was right for her not to eat, but what did she do? She ate. And so she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, Adam gave God gave the message to Adam. Adam gave it to Eve. Adam was the one who knew. The Bible says he was standing right there with her as he was talking to the devil. Adam was standing right there. Why didn't he intervene? He was responsible for her as his wife, as a protector, a provider. He was responsible for her. He should have ripped into the devil. But instead, he was standing there doing God knows what. This knucklehead was just standing there doing nothing as his wife was having a conversation with the devil. Brothers, men are responsible. There's an order to God, okay? The Bible talks about an order. The head of every man is, is, is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. There's an order. And that's not a, that's not a, that's not a value thing, sisters. Don't, don't, don't misinterpret. That's not a value thing. God has an order that he put in the universe. Men, we are responsible and Adam shucked his responsibility and plunged the whole world into this mess that we're in right now. She took some of his fruit. And the thing is, you know, and I, this is just my, I don't, I don't know this for sure, but um, we don't know how, the devil may have tried to get to Adam first because he knew Adam was the one who, got, who, gave, who was given the command. He may have tried him for a long time and realized I'm not getting nowhere with him. But he got a thing for this woman. If I can get to him through her. Listen, the devil is always after the man. Always after the man. 
because he knows he understands God's order of things. He knows if he can get the man is that if you cut the head off, the body will die on its own. Get rid of the head. That's what, see, that's what you see in single parent homes. And there's nothing, listen, some, there's some awesome single parent mothers. Please don't, don't please hear me. Don't, mis, don't misunderstand me. There's some awesome single parent mothers, but there's going to always be something missing because a man is not there, especially with the son. Always something missing because there's an order. The devil is always after the man. There are more men in jail than women. More male babies are aborted than female. There are more men on drugs than female. Why is he after you, brother? Why is the devil, why do you make the devil nervous? Why? Because he understands the order of God. Women are important. They are vital in this, in this, in this society in God. But God has an order, and the man is the head. And he shucked his responsibility right here and plunged the whole. See, when, you see, when Eve, when Eve ate, nothing happened. When Adam ate, that's when lions start roaring, dogs start bike, barking, and snakes start hissing. Because Adam ate. Because God said, and that's why God said, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Eve, where are you? He said, Adam, where are you? She took some of her fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. When God said, Adam, where are you? He wanted Adam to confess. Where are you? Brother, where are you in your life? Where are you in your marriage? Where are you in your relationship? Where are you as a father? Where are you as a husband? Where are you in society? Where are you? When I look at and I know this is hard to hear, but I look at what's going on in the world and society. I'm, I'm like, man, God, we're responsible for that. Men are responsible for this, these gangs. There are more male gangs than female gangs. You don't see no female gangs. He's after the man. Tony Evans said, when you, if you want to mess up a, a, a family, mess up the man. If you want to mess up a church, mess up the men. If you want to mess up the community, mess up the man. You want to mess up a, 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 a neighborhood, mess up, mess up the man. You want to mess up a city, mess up the men. You want to mess up a state, mess up the men. You want to mess up a country, mess up the men. You want to mess up the world, mess up the men. You see a pattern there? <laughs> and the devil knows that. He's always after the man. And he'll use a woman to get to him. Because that's one of our weaknesses. God wanted Adam to confess. Repentance is the issue. It was the issue. Adam, where are you? Repent, Adam. But what did he do? He hid. See, Adam, Adam it went in with full knowledge. 1 Timothy 2.14, it says the woman was deceived, but Adam went in with full knowledge. He knew exactly what he was doing. Satan promised them knowledge. He said, you'll understand, God knows that the day you eat of it, you'll understand the good and evil like he does. See, he promised them that, but he didn't tell them they wouldn't be able to handle it. He can't, we can't handle understanding what good and evil is. They only saw their nakedness. They didn't become like, first of all, he said, you'll become like God. They already were. He made them in his image. They were already like God. 
The devil make you think you're missing out. I ain't missing out on nothing. I'm already like God. I'm made in his image and his likeness. But they only saw their nakedness. And then they became addicted to evil because of they, they disobeyed God and plunged the whole world into sin. And the sin was more than eating the forbidden fruit. They disobeyed the revealed will of God when God said, don't eat. Secondly, they believed Satan over God. Said, no, Satan said, no, you won't die. They believed Satan over God. Oh, and they ate. They didn't die immediately, but they eventually died. They died spiritually. Immediately, they died spiritually. But the last verse in the book of Genesis says, and Joseph was buried in a coffin in Egypt. Wow. Buried in a coffin in Egypt. That's the end of the verse in Genesis. They died, in other words. Physically and spiritually. They disobeyed the revealed will of God. They believed Satan. And they placed their will above God's will. They placed their will. God said, don't eat. It's my will for you not to eat. I want to see. This, this, this fruit looks good. It's my will to, to, to taste this and see what this looks like. They disobeyed. They place their will above God's will, and we do that all the time. What I want as opposed to what God wants. What I say as opposed to what God says. So Genesis chapter 3 is the origin of sin. We saw what it is, a disobedience against God's moral law and action, uh, deed, or thought. And it originated right here in Genesis chapter 3. You know, sin is irrational. Sin is very, it was irrational for them not to obey God, to do the opposite of what God said for them to do. And sin is always irrational. It's never, it never makes sense. It's never logical. Sin is always irrational. So before you do that, think about, is this really rational? See, the problem, problem is sin feels good to us. And we're fleshly beings and we like how it feels. And we will, we will risk everything to feel good. We risk so much for so little. We risk so much for so little. We will, we will risk losing our families over temporary pleasure. Risk losing our, the, the trust of our wives and kids over temporary pleasure, over a few moments of, 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 of temporary pleasure, whatever that is, sexual or otherwise. Just to feel good for the moment. And then we cry after, about the consequences afterwards. See, see sin, sin, sin will always take you further than you're willing to go, keep you longer than you're willing to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. Always. It will always take you further than you're willing to go. I didn't mean to go to the floor. I didn't want to go to I, All I wanted to do, I just wanted to make a little money for a little bit. I didn't mean to get caught up in the game of drug deal. I just wanted to make a little money for a minute, and now I, I can't get out. It will cost you. I didn't mean to lose my son's trust, but now I didn't mean to lose my wife's trust, but now I didn't mean to get fired on my job, but now it's going to always cost you more, keep you longer than you're willing to stay. I didn't mean it's going to always cost you more. And the consequences of sin come in one of three ways, immediate time release or delayed. Sometimes the consequences of sin are immediate, like Ananias and Sapphira, where they just, you just drop dead on the spot. God was, 
Sometimes it's immediate. <laughs> Sometimes it's time release, like with David. Over a period of time, God said, the sword shall never depart from your house. You're going to pay for this for the rest of your life. Sometimes the consequences of sin will, will, will last you for three years, five years. You're going to pay for this for the next three years, four years, five years, whatever it is. And once that time is up, like, like a 12-hour like a capsule that works in your body for 12 hours, you take a pill, for, your 12-hour capsule is working in your body for 12 hours. And after the 12 hours, you're going to need to take another one. And sometimes sin is like that. It's, it's time released. And sometimes it's delayed. Sometimes it doesn't come for five years. And see, those are, that's the most dangerous one because you think you got away with it. <laughs> you know, you, you do this and nothing happens, and you're like, oh, okay, it's been a year. You know, it's been two years. And, and when the consequences come, and you don't make the connection all the time, you'd be like, wait a minute. When the consequences of that particular sin comes, and it's three years down the line, you're like, why is this happening? And it's like, well, just because of what you did three years, three, four years ago. It's like, but you don't make the connection because it's been so long. Oh, but it's coming. The Bible says your sin will surely find you out. Your sin will catch up with you. Sometimes it's immediate. Get it out the way, like Santa Ananias and Sapphira. I, just give me the immediate. Get it out the way. <laughs> sometimes it's time released over a period of time, and sometimes it's delayed. But the point is, there's consequences to sin all the time. Okay, so we know what sin is. We know where it originated. Last thing is, sin is, is a human problem. God does not sin. That's, I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? But I want to look at some verses to talk about this. God does not sin. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4. The rock, talking about God, his work is perfect. All his ways are entirely just. A faithful God, without prejudice, he is righteous and true. It says he is perfect. His work is perfect. In other words, he's sinless. He is entirely just. There is no injustice in God at all. Job, therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. It is impossible for God to do wrong. <laughs> I love that. Just plain and simple. It is impossible for God to do wrong and for the Almighty to act unjustly. God doesn't sin. James 1 says he's, he, he, he's the, he doesn't tempt with evil, nor can he be tempted with evil. There is nothing in God to, to, to tempt him with evil. He has no desire to do wrong. Whereas us, there are certain things you can't put in my face <laughs> or in my past or yours either. Because if I do. Now, Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen. So if God the Father can't sin, neither can God the Son. This is Jesus talking. Who among you can convict me of sin? Wow. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, who among you can convict me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? But to ask that question, who among you can convict me of sin? And notice nobody said, nobody said me. <laughs> I can't ask that question. And neither can you. If I said, who among you can convict me of sin? All of what, every one of you can raise your hand. <laughs> because I'm a sinner. I'm sinful. 1 Peter 2.21, for you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. You hear that? He says, 
For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. He's our example, right? So that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus never thought, said, or did anything wrong. No deceit was found in his mouth. He never said anything wrong or bad. Wow. The Bible in James talks about the tongue. No man can tame the tongue because, you know, your tongue will get you in trouble. Your tongue will get you killed. There are a lot of people who got killed because of what they said. But it says Jesus never even sinned with what he said. And we get tempted when somebody do something to us, whoa, the stuff we want to say, <laughs> let alone do. You know, some of us, you know, our mouths will get, my, my brother <laughs> had a brother who used to get popped in the mouth all the time when he was a kid because his mouth got him in trouble all the time. He always had to have the last word. And I remember so many times my mother would just, because he just didn't know how to shut up. One time in school, the teacher called, <laughs> called my mother on the phone because my brother was in trouble, got in trouble in school. And she said, Miss Jones, she said, um, she said Anthony, just, he, just, he just has to have the last word. He always so My mother said, yeah, I know. <laughs> my mother said, and the thing was, she said, and, and, and she, she was accusing my brother of saying something to her. My mother said, yeah, I know. She said, I believe he said it to you because he does it to me at home all the time. But she, my mother knew her son. She says, I know you're not lying. Because he has the mouth on him, and our tongue, uh, his tongue got him in trouble all the time. And sometimes our, son, our tongue will get us in trouble, but it says, Jesus, no deceit was found in his mouth. And even when he was angry, the stuff he said wasn't sinful. It was stuff that needed to be said <laughs> to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When he went off on them with his mouth, that wasn't sin. It needed to be said. So we see that God the Father doesn't sin, God the Son doesn't sin, and neither does God the Spirit by, impl- by implication. Amen? Amen. Um, one last thing. I want to read something here uh, in this booklet as well. He says, He, God, did not fear sins, sin or evil's existence and power. He willed it so that in it and against it he might bring to light his divine attributes. Listen to this. If he had not allowed it to exist, sin, there would always have been a rationale for the idea that he was not in all his attributes superior to a power whose possibility was inherent in creation itself. For all rational creatures, as creatures, as finite, limited, changeable beings, have the possibility of apostatizing or departing from God, leaving God. We all have the tendency to do that. But God, because he is God, never feared the way of freedom. He never feared the reality of sin or the eruption of wickedness or the power of Satan. You realize God was not scared of that? So both in its origin and development, God always exercises his rule over sin. Always exercises his rule over sin. He does not force it. Nor does he block it with violence, but rather allows it to reach its full dynamic potential. Wow. He remains king, yet still gives it free reign in his kingdom. He remains king, but allows sin to have free reign in his kingdom. You say, why does he do that? He allows it to have everything, his world, his creatures, even his anointed. For evils, uh, for evils cannot exist without goods. That makes sense. He allows it to use it. He allows it to use all that he all that is his. He gives it opportunity to show what it can do in order in the end as king of kings to lead the theater of battle. 
For sin is of such a nature that it destroys itself by the freedom granted it. Let me read that again. He said, for sin is of such a nature that it destroys itself by the very freedom granted it. It dies of its own disease. It dooms itself to death. At the apex of its power, it is, by the cross alone, publicly shown up in its powerlessness. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. You need to read that when you get home. The Bible says that Jesus uh, 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 destroyed the powers of, of rulers and authority by nailing them to the cross. Jesus destroyed the power of, of sin at Calvary on the cross. He said, it is finished. It's done. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. God is not afraid of sin. He destroyed sin at Calvary. That's why he wasn't afraid of it. Nor Satan. You realize there is no competition between God and Satan. There's no competition. There's no like balance in the universe between good and evil. No, there's not. There's God. <laughs> And he works everything out after the counsel of his will, including sin. Everything, Ephesians 1 and 11. He works everything out after the counsel of his will. One last verse, and we're going to go eat. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is the gospel in a nutshell. I'm going to end with this. I don't want to leave you in despair. Listen to this. He made, God made the one who did not know sin, Jesus Christ. There it is. He knew no sin. For he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made him, Jesus Christ, who did not know sin, to be sin for me, for you, as a sin offering, the Bible says in Romans 8. For, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, through the flesh God did by sending uh, his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as a sin offering, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God wants us righteous. We have to be righteous, church. But we don't have our own righteousness. That's the problem. I can't be righteous on my own. I have none. So he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Don't leave that part out. In him. We are righteous in him. I'm not righteous on my own, but in my position before God. We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In my position, I'm righteous. Perfect. Practically, I say stuff with my mouth. I do stuff I don't need, I, don't, I shouldn't do. I do that practically, but in my position, I'm righteous. In your position, Diane, you're righteous. In your position, Chris, you're righteous. Practically, you're jacked up. And I can point out all your jacked up this. And you can point mine out. But you know what? God doesn't look at that. He looks at my position. He looks at my position, church. Diane, he looks at my position. He doesn't look at my sin. Do I sin? Yes, but I need, when I sin, do I need to confess? Yes, it's sin I need to confess but it doesn't take me out of position. <laughs> it doesn't take me out of position. Did you hear what I just said? Practically, but he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I'm righteous in Christ. 
I don't brag about that. That humbles me because I didn't do anything to get it. I did nothing to deserve it. For by grace you are saved, and that through faith, and not, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Salvation is all Jesus. Salvation is of the Lord, Jonah says. I do nothing to get it, and I can do nothing to lose it. I did nothing to get it, and I can do nothing to lose it. I'm eternally secure because of Jesus and him taking my sin on the cross and nailing it and looking at the devil and saying, you're done. It's over. It's finished. We're going to celebrate communion. We're going to celebrate this right here. Celebrate what Jesus has done. We define what sin is. We discovered where it came from, but we also looked at how it's defeated, how God defeated it. It didn't deter God. Sin didn't deter God. In Genesis 3, God wasn't like, oh my God, what am I going to do? No. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew exactly what he was going to do. So as we prepare to take communion, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to come back uh, and take communion, and we'll be done. Amen. Amen. All we have is Christ. Amen. Sin is our enemy. It's the enemy of the believer. But Jesus took care of our enemy at the cross, and as we celebrate his broken body and shed blood, That's victory for us. God wasn't deterred by what happened in Genesis 3. He always had a plan from the foundation of the world. Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. So as we partake, let us remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf to destroy sin's power in our lives. The Bible says we are no longer slaves to sin. Consider yourselves free from the power of sin. And when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, the Bible says, Jesus Christ the righteous, who knew no sin. We have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, yet without sin. So let us partake and celebrate the victory over sin in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, our victory, our righteousness, our wisdom, our everything. Lord God, thank you that the enemy has been defeated. For this reason was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Thank you, Jesus, for destroying the works of the devil in our lives. Thank you. So, Lord, now as we, as we finish up here, bless our time of fellowship together, Lord God. Help us to love each other, to enjoy each other's company, Lord God. And we'll give you glory, we'll give you honor, we'll give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.